It's my uh, pleasure to share uh, with you a word this morning that's on my heart from the Lord. And uh, I know that uh, Pastor Kevin is uh, traveling out east. Uh, How many of you have been to St. John's before? All right. Pastor Kevin is there uh, with the Billy Graham Association. And uh, Billy Graham's grandson, Will, is doing an outreach in St. John's this weekend. And so Pastor Kevin is there as part of the leadership team. Uh, because the, the exciting thing is, a year from now, Will Graham will be coming to Belleville, and we've rented the Coliseum of the uh, CAA Arena, and we're going to do a three-day outreach to our city, to our region. And uh, Will Graham, who is an amazing pastor, but he's also taking on that anointing of his grandfather and his father, Franklin, and he has such a precious heart. And we know it's a part of the bigger picture of what God is doing in our area, and we're so excited. So Pastor Kevin's there learning and growing in his understanding there and supporting that team. And uh, Pastor Barry and Rod Moorcroft and maybe others are out uh, a little bit more east in Saskatchewan in North Battleford at a prayer and prophetic, uh, pardon? Out west, yeah. Sorry, more west. Thank you for that geography correction. I guess if you go, never mind. Okay, so they're in North Battleford uh, at a 10-day prayer uh, and intercession conference uh, uh, seeking the Lord on behalf of this nation, knowing that we can't keep going in an unrighteous path as a country and expect the blessings of God. So we want to see a shift for our country, a shift to righteous ways, godly ways, and praying uh, for that end. And uh, we're so excited that they could be our representatives and they'll be back And we'll be able to hear from from them on their their journey. Well, this morning, I want to help paint a picture uh, uh, as we continue in our inheritance series. Uh, We'll be uh, continuing that for a few more weeks, and then we're getting uh, ready for an exciting Christmas season. But I want to continue talking to you about how to invest uh, the inheritance that you have received. And specifically today, I'm going to talk about how to invest your heart in other people. Not your money, not necessarily your gifts and talents, but how do you invest your heart into somebody else? Because I believe the most precious thing we have on this planet is not our money, it's not our stuff, it's not even our intelligence. The most precious thing we have is what God put on the inside of us. It's our heart. It's the the greatest wealth commodity we have is right here. And the world wants to know if you'll share the kingdom of God that's on the inside, if you'll give some of them. So we're going to learn how to do that today. I want to give you some practical three ways that you can emotionally invest in someone else and three aspects of emotional investment. Well, I've got to say, one of the most fun emotional investments I had is when my wife and I started dating. This was about 47 years ago. Not really. No, uh, it wasn't. It was... um, around 2004, and uh, when Katrina reached out to me, and we, uh, our friendship was continuing long distance, she was living here, and I was in the States out west, and uh, you know, it wasn't hard for us to emotionally invest. Why? Because I liked her, and I wanted to figure out, was this the type of woman that I was going to spend the rest of my life with? So what did we do? Back in the day, before all these really nice smartphones, you had to either email, uh, use MSN Messenger, or the old-fashioned phone, which you could do cordless, if you, you know, the cool cordless phones. 
So that's what I did. We bought the uh, MCI long-distance cards per penny, long-distance to Canada. And, and most evenings, you would find me in my little apartment talking to Katrina for an hour, two hours. How could we talk for so long? Because we were making an emotional investment in one another. If you're going to spend the rest of your life with someone, why not take the time, if you can, and ask a lot of good questions? So that's what we did. We would find lists of questions in dating books and things like that, and then we would share back and forth these questions. We would share our life stories. We would share our opinions. We would share our values, our beliefs. And in turn, I would listen and she would share. We'd spend hours on the phone. Well, the good news is that led to a great foundation with God's grace to us to build a marriage upon. Because here's a, um, a principle that you know that we've repeated many times is that we can't give what we don't have. So it's hard to build a relationship on something that doesn't exist. So you have to spend time with your heart open pouring into one another. And you ask this question, what are we going to build this relationship on? Like for some people, I love to build my relationship on simple things like cars, football, coffee. It's not overly deep, but it sure is a lot of fun. And we laugh, we tell stories, and we're all good. Other people I'm sharing deeper things with. But you have to ask the question, what do you want to build your relationships on? One thing that we have to do is talk about how we're going to give our hearts away. And one thing in our inheritance series, you would probably remember we used to have the three chairs up here. We'd have chair three, chair two, and chair one. And what we learned about the, the, the best chair, chair one, is that in chair one we receive everything that we need through adoption as children of God and that you don't have to earn things with God. God likes to give you things because he loves you. And there's an important lesson here, is that before we can emotionally invest in one another, are we going to emotionally invest with an earn-deserve relationship or with a free relationship is, I can give you as much love and trust as possible and I choose to give it from a free will. Like, that's a different way of doing relationship. See, I was, in, I was going to university and I came home one summer and I got this amazing job at Wonder Bread Bakery. Have, have you ever had Wonder Bread? I got to work in a factory that just made tons and tons of loaves every day. And I got to wear a whole white outfit, just like in the movies. And one day I got sent home because I didn't wear a white outfit, because they were really strict about that. I had to wear a little hairnet, which I don't have to probably wear anymore, as you can see. So I was working at Wonder Bread Bakery, and I was driving down the, the freeway to go to the factory. And I was listening to this teacher. And, you know, it wasn't a CD player. It wasn't an MP3 it was on a cassette tape. Okay. So I had the cassette tape rolling. And this preacher said, you know what? You, your righteousness is as, 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 as good and as clean as filthy rags, it says in the Old Testament. And your good works aren't good enough to earn you favor with God. I said, this, this preacher's lying. Because I've spent the last 19, 20 years of my life trying to work hard and go to church and do all the right things so that God would like me. That's chair two thinking. But what he said is that the righteousness of God is a gift. And it comes freely through putting your faith in Jesus Christ. And I said, that can't be. 
Is that what the Bible says? And as I studied the simple scriptures, the whole New Testament says that your righteousness and your right standing with God is a gift. And in that little car ride, that 20-minute car ride to the factory, I had a transition from a works-based relationship to a grace-based relationship. And my life has been different since that little tape played. Because the good news is we can't earn salvation, we receive it as a gift. So in your friendships, in your life, think about that. When you're doing a transaction with a friend, remember, it's not earn-deserve. Otherwise, when you do earn-deserve in your relationships, we've all been there and had the pain of someone. And because none of us are perfect, when we blow it, like I have, all those relationships would be done today. But if we have grace for one another, we can learn through it and continue on. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, it says, For this reason, Christ is the mediator of our new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set us free from our sins, committed under the first covenant. So we don't have to earn this right of being with God. Because Jesus died for us, and we believe in Jesus, it, it wipes our slate clean, and now we can be close to God and give something special away. And here's a kingdom principle. We talked about this a few weeks ago. If you're faithful with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. Remember that principle? If, you're tru- if you can be faithful with a little, God can trust you to be faithful with a lot. And it says in Matthew 13, it says, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from them. And that just doesn't sound like socialism. Whoever has will be given more, and he who does not have, even that will be taken and be given to the other guy who has more. And I keep thinking, that's not fair. But this is a principle of investment. If you invest the treasure that you already had, God doesn't mind giving you a lot more. If you sit on your treasure and don't use it, God says, well, I might as well give that to somebody else. God loves it when you take risks. He loves it when you invest in people. He loves it when you get out and live life. He doesn't want you sitting on your keister, not using your gifts. So let's look at how to do that. How to invest our hearts in other people. Well, first of all, let me remind you that there's a dis- I'm talking about emotional investment. There's a difference in my mind, and I'll describe that, between an emotional investment and just plain emotionalism. There's a difference between an emotional investment and, and emotionalism. And let's start with what is an, an, invest, an investment that's emotional. An emotional investment is when you're honest and transparent. An emotional investment is passion-focused. Do you have passions in your heart? Like if I walked up to you right now and said, what are your passions? What are your top three passions in life? And you'd be able to, oh, I'm passionate about this, this, and this. If you're going to make an emotional investment in people, I want you to share your passions with them. Don't just stay on the surface level. Start with the big things that are easy to talk about, but get down to your passions. People want to know about passion. People are motivated by passion. What are your passions? An emotional investment is a passion discussion. 
an emotional investment, you have to be available. You can't make investments when you're not available. It doesn't work. And if you've had someone who doesn't have any time for you, that relationship is at a standstill. Isn't that right? But if you can make time for people, then you can make your emotional investments. And I want to uh, encourage everyone in this room, who's the person in your room that you're looking to make an emotional investment in? And then you have to find out if they're available. So something that I've done uh, uh, the last three or four years is I've identified three or four uh, men in the church who I really respect and I ask them to meet so that they can make an emotional investment in me. I know that seems selfish, but it feels so good to have an investment made in myself. And in turn, I try to give them the best of what I have. So who is it? You don't have to have three or four, but you should have one or two people in this room that you say, you know what? I want to go make an emotional investment in that person. And it's uh, been fun with some of you. We've done it over uh, sushi and uh, great coffee, and we share our lives together. We talk about what's passionate in our life. But you know what? Those phone calls don't happen if you don't pick up your phone. Rarely are people going to come after you and say, oh, by the way, I really want to meet with you. I want you to make the first move of advancement, of emotional investment, by calling that person. You go first. Remember, Ken Gill taught us, leaders don't have to be first, but leaders should go first. In other words, leaders take risks. You also want to choose to have appropriate vulnerability. Have you ever been in a conversation when someone shared too much, too fast? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. TMI or whatever we say, all these words, and you're like, back up. Don't need to hear that. And even I have to be careful as a pastor. Sometimes people spill their stuff because they know it's a safe place and confidential. But I have to make a choice. One, how much am I going to share back? Two, am I able to help this person? And if I'm not, I have to refer them to someone who has more skills or talents uh, or developed in that area. So an emotional investment is vulnerable. Be vulnerable with people, but don't get ahead of the amount of trust that you have in that relationship. Slow down and share what's appropriate with the person. And this is a fun one about making wise emotional investments, is share from your victories and your defeats. Some of the best conversations I've had, I've sat down with Pastor uh, Kevin and Sherry, and sometimes they say, you know what, we learned a lesson, Mark, and then they tell us how they learned the lesson through making mistakes, not just their victories. And I said, really? You went through that? And God showed them this really cool leadership principle because they went through their difficulties and came out on the other side. So when you're meeting with people, ask them to share both sides of the coin, the victories and the losses. And if they agree to say that, you're going to learn some really beautiful things. If you're with someone and all they share about is their victories and how good life is and how everything's perfect, after a while you're like, this don't work. Because this, this person is either lying or they never, they're not very truthful. They just, they just tell me about their victories. Are they even human? I was at a Rotary Club meeting once and this politician got up and he, he waxed eloquently and told all the stories. And then he sat down, nice guy, and my buddy leaned over to me and he said, you know what, Mark? I said, what? I said, he goes, I'm always leery of any speaker when all the pronouns you hear is I the whole time. It can't be about you. It has to be 
about more than just the leader. It was very perceptive. So share about your victories and your defeats. Now, emotionalism is different. Emotionalism is when we are out of control and we try to build relationships like that. And this is the question that I ask when I'm meeting with people and they're emotionally out of control. I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to love them, but I'm going to say, who do I get today? Which person is showing up at the meeting? Because they're so high and low that you don't even know who you're meeting with. And I'm not going to judge them and say, oh, they're a bad person. I just have to be ready to say, are they going to be this person, this person, or this person? And then I just listen. But the problem is that other person has found no way to control the highs and the lows. And it's okay to have highs and lows. Hear me. It's okay to be up and down. But you have to be careful if you're going to share from your ups and your downs. If you know what I mean. If you're really low and you, you take that low place and you just share your whole life from that low and it's dark and it's bad and it's ugly, that's okay. But if you can say, I'm feeling down, I'm having a horrible day, but it doesn't mean you have to treat the person across from you like they're down and they're having a horrible day. That's the difference. Is your feelings can't run your conversations, and your investments. But you can be honest about it. I'm honest. When I meet with Pastor Kevin, and I say, you know, I'm just not feeling that good. And it's not a physical thing. I said, I'm feeling kind of down. I just want to let you know where I'm at. But I don't treat him worse. I don't take it out on Pastor Kevin. And one of his strengths as a leader is, when he comes to work and he comes to pastor, he doesn't pastor me based on his feelings. He pastors me based on his principles, his character, and his values. So that means he becomes a safe person to learn from because I don't have to wonder, what's he going to be like today? Is he an angry pastor today? Is he a happy pastor today? Is he a depressed pastor today? He doesn't do that. He's Pastor Kevin. He has his ups and downs, and he'll share those, but he's not going to put project that onto me. An emotional person that's over-emotional, they're scattered. Have you ever met with someone you don't know where they're going? Because their feelings are running the conversation, and you're just like, slow down. Let's just talk about one thing. Now, as guys, I think we can only talk about one thing anyways, so it's a lot easier. Ladies, you have a gift to probably talk about multiple things and go for it. But when you're talking to a guy, please just let's talk about one thing at a time. Guys have boxes, one box at a time. It's really easy, a lot, lot easier to listen, and you can keep us right on track. Emotional people become controlling. Because of fear, fear-based, it makes you feel like you have to control the situations. And there's also a lot of inappropriate vulnerability. Have you ever met with someone and they just say way too much too fast? And you're like smiling and you go, wow. And you know how we learned a few weeks ago, you got to be a vault at that time. You can never share that stuff with other people because they're trusting you. Be a vault. Don't be a tabloid. Be a vault. But it's hard to build relationships like that. So you can see the difference. You can honor emotions, and I don't want to come down on saying, oh, emotions are wrong. In fact, I'm learning about trying to be healthy emotionally. I struggle to share my emotions, if I'm going to be transparent with you. But in our marriage, we're working that out. Katrina and I, how do you share your emotions? I'm not that good at it. I didn't practice very well. I used to be, I, I'm really good at stuffing my emotions. 
I don't know about you, but that's a lot easier than trying to talk about all that stuff. So I just stuff it. Well, guess what? That's not a good deal. Because sooner or later, that stuff has to come out. So I'm learning how to talk emotionally in a healthy way. So let me ask you a few questions. Number one, if you're going to vote and invest in someone emotionally, who in your life wants to grow? Who wants to grow who's around you right now? Think of the people in your life. Because the number one thing you have to be about emotional investing, it should be intentional. You know, farmers don't go out in the field and just start throwing seed, do they? Oh, yeah, it'll be fine. It's good. This one's rocky over here. No one's plowed it over here. I don't know what seed I have. It, farmers are very intentional. They have systems and seasons and equipment that do very specific things. The Bible says in Matthew 13, 23, but he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it. And that's where the multiplication came, is when the seed was sown on the good ground. So when you are going to invest in someone, who has good ground? Who has good soil in your life? Now, hearts are like soil, so all you have to do is think of someone in your life. Do they have a hard heart, or do they have a soft, teachable spirit? If they have a hard heart, you're probably not going to go anywhere emotionally with the person. So you can smile, you can have a nice conversation, talk about the weather, whatever, but your investment means nothing, because it's not going to go anywhere. You can't grow seed in hard soil. It's a waste. Now, there's other people in your life that when you meet with them, they can't wait to meet. And they soak up your conversation and they have fun and they enjoy you. That's called a soft heart. And it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So we take the stone out and put a soft heart in. That's what the Holy Spirit is. And if you find yourself emotionally shut off, if you find like a stoneness on your heart, no one's going to change that in this room. You have to go to the Holy Spirit and say, God, my heart is hard lately. I've noticed emotionally I've been closed or I've been out of control. Holy Spirit, would you pour in your love and give me a soft heart? No one can do that for you. You've got to go to what I call prayer closet and get in your own room and say, God, I'm not leaving here until you pour out your love on me by the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, when you take God at his word, he will soften your heart and your soil will get nutrients. Your heart will become so much more pliable. You know, uh, a fun couple that I meet with often uh, is Ryan and Christy uh, Conroy. And it's so fun as they're growing on their leadership and they're some of our leaders and they work in a lot of ministries, including young adults. But why is it so fun? It's because they have soft hearts. And they, they want to grow. They want to go ahead in the kingdom. So if they have a challenge in their life and we talk about it and we come up with a plan, they apply it, and then the next week they're like, this is working great. I'm like, they actually did what I said. And they have fun, and they grow, and then they get blessed. They have soft hearts. One time we were working out, uh, we were talking about uh, fathers and fatherlessness and spiritual fathers. And Christy shared her testimony with me. Uh, we, Ryan and I and her were having coffee, and she shared a great testimony. I said, that's amazing. Have you ever written that down? She goes, no. I said, well, would you? She goes, okay. And then like a week later, she had it printed. And she says, here's that testimony. I had forgotten already, I'm sorry to say. Not Christy. She took it to heart. And then 
you've heard her share her testimony. The whole church got to hear it on her journey with God as a father. Wow. Now, on the other hand, my grandfather, unfortunately, on my father's side, had a harder heart. I don't know if you have any family members that have some issues with hard hearts, but I did. And as my grandfather got older, we began to sow into his heart because you love your family. We, we, we sowed into him. We came to his house. We visited him. We went camping with him. And his heart began to slowly open. How did I know? Because when I'd meet with him, he'd slip like a $20 bill across the table. And, you know, for the builder generation, money was an expression of love because those men aren't famous for emotionalism or being emotional at all, except maybe for anger. But he showed his love through money. So he'd slip the 20 across and wink at me. And my dad was right there. Don't tell your dad. Slide the money. I'd be like, yes. And um, would my grandfather give me $20 if I, did, if I did not come to his house? No. But see, as I invested in him, he was happy to invest back. We'd go camping together. Loved it. Tell stories. He began to open his heart. Now at Christmas time, guess which of the grandkids got presents? Me. Now, it was completely unfair because the other grandkids were now getting upset. They said, well, Grandpa gives you presents. Well, of course, I didn't want to say, well, that's because I actually am in his life. Now, it's not up to me who gets presents. That was my grandfather's choice, and I wish he would have given them all presents. He did not. As it came to the end of his life, I came to the hospital in Spokane, and the, the room was full. And one by one, people began to leave the room. And my mom said, now is maybe the time you can talk to him about Jesus Christ. And so they left. And a man that I love, my own grandfather, I, finally everyone left the room. And next to his bed, I said, Grandpa, you know we've talked about God before. And you've seen Billy Graham on TV talking about Jesus. And he goes, that's true, I have. I said, Grandpa, are you ready to receive Jesus Christ into your heart? And to ask him to forgive your sins. And he looked at me. And he said, no. Not yet. He's on his deathbed. He said, no. Not right now, Mark. And I was like, shoot. Because I don't think this is going to go a lot longer. And we held hands. And I said, okay, Grandpa. You know, Christianity is not a force thing. It's a thing of love. You have to choose it by invitation. You don't force Christianity on people. His heart was like hard rock. He'd been through a lot of stuff, and he goes, I don't think God can forgive me for the things I've done. I couldn't change his mind, so we left it at that. And a few weeks later, he passed away, and I wasn't there at that time. He couldn't speak, and his family was joined around him praying, and I know he raised his hand and things. I don't know about his eternal destiny, but I do know he was an example of someone, unfortunately, who had a, quite a hard heart. And the only choice that we have is to choose to have a hard heart or to choose to risk our hearts with Jesus. So how do you know who wants to grow? Pastor Kevin and I were talking about this week. If you want to invest in someone, you can ask the question, is that person seeking you out? Are they flexible and being willing to be inconvenienced in order to meet you? Are they asking good questions? If you're meeting with someone, they have nothing to ask of you. They probably don't care what you have to say. 
And that's okay. You just say, you know, maybe this isn't going the, the direction I thought. Because if they're not asking questions or advice, maybe they don't believe you have anything to offer in this season. And that's okay. And are they trying to apply what you've previously discussed? Those are some of the indicators to know if that person wants to grow with you. So the first thing is, is to be intentional. The second thing is to be repetitive. Who can I consistently make an investment in? The key word is consistent. In Matthew 13, this is, Matthew 13 is a study verse on this. So you want to read it this week. The kingdom of heaven is like the mustard seed, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it has grown. Now, when I say grown, do things grow fast in agriculture, or do they take time? Time. You don't grow it overnight. You don't look out, oh, there's the crop. You have seasons of growth. So if you're going to make an investment in one another, we have to do it over time. Now, doing something in time, being repetitive, let's, let's make this comment, the earlier the better. Who's a younger person in your life right now that you can invest in? Who's a younger person in your life that you can pour your life into? Because it helps set them up. Number two, invest in all seasons. Don't just invest once unless the Holy Spirit gives you a divine opportunity. Give them your best and walk away. That's fine. It might be a stranger, someone in, in, in the store. Give them your best. But someone who you can invest all the time, do it in all the seasons. And seasons are important times in their life. Seasons are transition times, major events, crisis times, weddings, funerals. Show up and invest in those moments. People will never forget that you showed up in those moments. Lastly, repetitive also looks like long-term investment. How many of you know if you put a little bit of money away now and let it multiply, it'll be greater than if you take that money and just try to start at the end of your life? Multiplication happens over time. So a proven track record is hard to deny. You know, if you're with someone and you're walking with them and you're investing in them, and then a difficult time comes in their life down the road, and you step in and you say, no, I, I want to have this difficult conversation with you, they can trust that because you have a proven track record. You're not there to slam them. You're there to say, can I help you with this? Let's have it. Let's have this difficult conversation. Now, I have my uh, Uncle Bill who was here last summer or the summer before, and he, you, some of you got to meet him. He has been in my life since a young boy. And so his track record is so strong, I can call him up right now and ask his advice and tell me, I say, shoot, shoot straight, uncle, what's going on? And he'll just, he'll just, boom, he'll go for it. I have trust with him. Ever since I was a little boy, every time that we would leave, he'd be at my house, he'd say, and Mark, I love you, you're special, God has a calling in your life, keep your powder dry, Focus on God. Love Jesus. Know whose you are and whose you are. That's how he would finish his conversations ever since I was seven or eight years old. Eventually, I believed him. He's still in my corner. See, my parents are like that. Some, several of the pastors that have been in my life. Who is in your life that's investing in you? Some of you have told me, say, they've said, well, Mark, that's great that you've had that, but guess what? I never had that in my life. No one's invested in me. And so we grieve that. I'm saying, I'm sorry about that. And they say, I'm sorry too. But what's the next step? Are you going to remain, in a sense, fatherlessness? Or are you going to allow a man or woman into your life to invest in you? 
And you can take the responsibility to seek that person out and to ask them to get together to meet. You can make the choice. They probably won't come for you, but you can son the father, I said a couple weeks ago, you can son the father out of almost anyone you meet. Or you can mother the mother out of almost anyone you meet if you treat them like a father or mother. They will open their hearts to you. So you want to be intentional. You want to not only be intentional, but you want to be repetitive. And the third thing is you want to do is ask the question, who has God already placed in my life? Now, Katrina will tell you, when we were in university, because I was so extroverted and there was like 3,000 people there, I was like friends with like 500 of them. The problem is, do you have any time for your real friends if you're friends with 500 people on the surface? No. So your real true friends, those friendships start to die because you're trying to give yourself a little bit to everybody. Well, that's great in a ministry setting or outreach, but when it comes time to friendship, I learned that you only need a handful of close friends to do life with. The Bible says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my mother, my brother, and my sister. Matthew 12, 50. So you can do life with anyone, seriously, who wants to do God's will. I call this proximity investing. Who's close to you? I used to keep wondering, I wonder where they are. I wonder who this person, who should I spend time with? And I already had a great group of friends that I would look right over the top. They were already in my life. You know that God already has placed the people in your life that you need. We don't have to search more, more than likely, they're already there. And this is where I want to help you do something practical. I call this, um, this proximity investing based on a circle, circles of intimacy. Circles of intimacy. And what I want to do here, if I could have Charlie and Steve come forward. I have these, um, these little charts. and Maybe just take one per family. Um, I don't have a lot of them. These are just examples. But I would like you to um, go ahead and pass them out if you want one. These are circles of intimacy. and these, I'm going to use these as a diagram. So s- spread them out. Everyone take uh, one or one per family. I don't have it behind me on the screen right now. But I could probably post it like on our Facebook page. So I want to talk to you about circles of intimacy. Because this is, this is really being intentional with your investment of time and emotion. So all it is is a circle with five, five circles around it. So you can even draw it. If you don't have one, just draw five circles. This is who you find out who's in your life and how to invest in them. It's a very practical thing to do. In the middle of the circle, guess who's in the middle of the circle? God, and who, who, since it's your circle, I want you to put yourself in the circle too. Okay? So the center circle is you and Jesus. Because if you don't put Jesus in the middle with you, there's going to be some issues that we'll have to deal with a lot more. So you and Jesus are in the center of your circles of intimacy. Jesus Christ wants to be number one in your life. You put him in that circle. If you've chosen to follow Jesus, you and him go in that circle. Now, if you're married, guess who goes in the next circle? Your spouse. 
We've, instead of happy wife, happy life, we say happy spouse, happy house. Happy spouse, happy house. So you put your spouse, if you're married, in the next circle. If you have children, you put them in the next circle. And then you might, after that, have your best friends or your acquaintance friends. Now, there's no rules to this diagram, except for the first one, is you and Jesus. And if you're married, I challenge you to put your spouse in there and then your children if you have them. But some of you are saying, I'm not married. I don't have children. Perfect. You can still put Jesus in you in the middle. You might put your parents in the second circle or a spiritual mother or father. You might put a best friend. You might put your church family in that circle. Who gets inside your circle? Or here's a tougher question, who's already in your circle? See, remember, you don't have to add people to it. They're already there. But once you identify who's in your circle, you can then go to your calendar and say, now I'm going to be intentional, starting with my house. And now Pastor Kevin always says, you know, the gospel has to start at home. Christianity is not real if it can't be real at home. So start at home, whoever's in your home, or your next closest friends. So for me, in my circles, I put Jesus and Mark in the center, then I put Katrina, and then I put Lucy, Kate, and Spencer on the third circle. Now, how am I, according to my calendar, going to invest in them? Now you can look and say, what time do I spend with my spouse? How do I connect with my passions with Spencer, Kate, and Lucy. Practically, put it down on the calendar. Like my son, he likes to play, so yesterday we got a football out. We went out, and then the girls came too. They're like, we like football now too. So we all went out and played in the street. And there was a heart connection there. I know it's play, but you know you can connect through play. The next circle, I put the spiritual influencers in my life, people who have a role like a spiritual father to me. I put my Uncle Bill there. I put Pastor Kevin there. My parents are very close to me. And the next levels, I put like my in-laws. And and, and though my in-laws are not my spiritual um, covering, they don't invest in me that way, I really feel it's important that I invest in them because I moved to their town and they're in my life. So Katrina and I want to intentionally invest in, in her parents. So I put them closer to the circle. So Lucy and I like to go out there maybe once a week and hang out on the farm and invest in their lives. It's a lot of fun. And the circle just keeps going bigger. Now, here's the thing. Here's a, let me give you an illustration. Um, and if I've shared this uh, early in the spring, I'll say it really quickly. Let's use, um, let's say someone has car trouble, Okay. So let's say the car breaks down, and someone walks in off the street, and they say, um, Pastor, I've been to your church a few times. My car just broke down, and I'm wondering what I should do. And you, and you go like this. You get your wallet out, and you say, um, call my favorite uh, mechanic shop. I trust them. Here's their number. They'll take care of you. Thank you so much. And you give them the business card. Now, the next time um, someone calls, uh, and it's uh, Pastor Kevin, and his car broke down, and Sherry has the other car, and he goes, I need a car. My car broke down, and I say, you know what? Katrina and I are blessed with two cars right now. Why don't you borrow our car for the weekend? We'll get by. 
Because Pastor Kevin has a special place in my heart. I'm okay with sharing that. We have a trust there. I give him the keys. He borrows it for the weekend. Next phone call, let's say this is 10 years from now, it's my son. He goes, Dad, guess what? I just blew the engine on the car. I've only done that once to my father. You know, you got to check those oil lights once in a while. And so, let's say it was my son that called. And then you say, okay, that's going to be, you know, another four or $5,000. You're trying to compute everything in your head. You say, son, where are you? We'll come get you. We'll work it out. And maybe, you know, we'll talk about that job that you got, and we'll work out you, you know, getting money together for your car, for your next car. We'll get a plan. It's going to be okay. If you're okay, we'll work it out. It's just stuff. Now, if your spouse calls and her car breaks down, one of the pastors was joking. You just say, okay, baby, you go pick out the color. You tell me where to meet you. Do you see the circles of intimacy getting closer and closer all the way to your closest person? Do you notice how your finances are no longer yours at that point? You share life together. So you have appropriate vulnerability with people. Now, if the first person that comes in says their car breaks and you say, don't worry about it, you go pick out a color. Then your wife says, well, I guess we're not going on vacation this year because you just gave it away. The, the challenge is you can give that money away to that person, but I encourage you to test that word from the Holy Spirit and talk to your spouse or get godly counsel first to have agreement. Because it's not that you, you can sacrificially give to people, but you, you should check in with the Lord and with people close to you before you do that because those people in the center are there for a reason. So give the best you have to the people who are closest to you and then move out from there. Does that make sense to everybody? So in review, emotional investment, be intentional. Look for people who have soft hearts, like a good soil. Be repetitive, because the more you sow into people, the better. And the track record will build. And lastly, think of who's already in your proximity, in your circle of intimacy, and pick your family first, your close friends, and sow into them the most often. Give them the most time. And I used to be horrible at this. I would give my time to everybody because I thought that's what a good Christian pastor does. You have to just help everybody. And my own family would be like, well, what about us? I've had to learn to say no because I love to say yes. I love to help people. But I, if I say yes to everybody else, I have to start saying no to the ones that God already gave me. And I don't want my son or daughter growing up saying, well, dad had time for everybody else. But he wouldn't come and Hang out with me. So proximity-based. Family first. Or your close friends. Now, one thing that I've found is a tool to help you with these things. Do your diagram. Draw your circles. And find out who's the closest. And, and, and get your calendar set accordingly. But for me, as you know, some of you know, for the last uh, almost four years, I've helped... Uh, the ministry team uh, to do Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights. And Celebrate Recovery is actually not a ministry for like addictions and things like that. It's called an umbrella ministry. And what it does is anything in your life that you know is not in tune or in alignment, Celebrate Recovery will help you through a 12-step process with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to bring alignment, a biblical alignment for whatever issue that you're facing. So for me, 
last year, I was asking God to help me uh, with some anger issues in my life that had shown up. And it was so cool after the 12 months how Holy Spirit had brought healing to my life. This year, Holy Spirit, I asked God, what do you want me to work on this year? And the Holy Spirit said, codependency. I said, oh, great. So I went to CR and I started my 12 steps and said, I'm going to work on codependency. And I, oh man. It's not easy when God says, okay, let's go to work. He wants to work on this stuff. And I asked him for his, his counsel and he gave it to me. So now I'm working through it. So Celebrate Recovery is a practical way for you to find support to work on any of these emotional, relational issues. In fact, most people that come to Celebrate Recovery are there because they're working through relational issues, not addictions or things like that. They, they just have relational problems that they don't know how to fix. So they ask Holy Spirit to come in and bring healing. So I wanted to invite all of you uh, to come when you're ready on Monday nights at 7. And uh, we have a group of about 30 people that meet, 20 to 30 people on Monday nights at 7. And you just begin a journey. You say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to work on? And it's really encouraging. It's confidential. And um, it develops a humility and a grace in your life to change. And I wanted to invite you to that. Let's all stand together. Thank you for letting me share this uh, word with you because I kept getting a picture this week of a farmer with a seed bag going around sowing intentionally. And I believe that you are the sowers of Belleville, that your life is one that has seed. You have the seed of God. You have the seed of the kingdom of heaven. You have love and forgiveness and power. And everywhere you go, every job site you go, you have seed to sow into someone's life. Every situation, you can add value to someone's life through the love of Jesus Christ. And this church can be a role model to our city of how to add value, emotional, passion-focused value. If that's something you'd like to grow in as we pray, if that's something that you want to develop in your life, a passion-focused, emotional giving to people, as we pray, I just want you to raise your hand and receive it like a gift. Father, today I thank you that you're not a poor God, but you're a rich father. And you have so much seed and so many good things for your people, including emotional health, so they can invest in one another. And I pray now in Jesus' name, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, that those who are hungry and thirsting to be emotional healthy would be, have a release, would have victory, would have strength, and seed to sow this week in, in bounty and plentiful. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You guys have a wonderful week. And if you would like prayer, please come forward and we'd love to pray with you.